0: We return to James chapter 1 this afternoon and our focus is going to be on verses 26 and 27 where we're going to hear about what true religion is and what it is not. Uh, before I became a pastor, I used to labor in an RV factory with over 100 workers. And in this wide cast of characters, can you imagine the size of this group? There was actually one fellow, a very large fellow, who stood out to me. And because he's a much larger fellow than I, and he could potentially listen to this, we'll just call him John Doe. John, he was a hard worker who loved to yell loudly at all his co-workers who were slower than him. And John was also very opinionated about every topic under the sun. So if you disagreed with him, he was quick to offer you a verbal tongue lashing and having a very large value level that matched his size well, you can imagine, in uh, a foul mouth as well, most opponents to John stood about as much chance as Custer did. I remember one day at work, John was talking to a co-worker, and I couldn't help but overhear about his court case and this judge that he absolutely despised. And suddenly, like a lightning bolt hitting him, he dropped his work and came to a full stop, and in a very loud voice, John said, Hey! Jesus said, Judge not, lest you also be judged. If Jesus said that, then that judge is going to hell for judging me, right? At this point, I couldn't help but look over, and I saw John smiling as he considered this prospect. And then his co-worker said this, Beats me. Ask that guy over there if you want to know what Jesus means by that. And his finger was pointing right at me. John and I were formally introduced that day, and I briefly explained the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And surprisingly, John was all silent, all ears as he took in everything I had to say. And from that point on, John and I were on friendly terms. And John would occasionally come up and ask me a question about the Bible, or he'd apologize for saying something, not realizing that I was in the vicinity. One day, as I was approaching my workstation, I could hear some that distant, you know, some foul talk coming from his mouth, from a distance, some typical John talk. And John saw me approach. And he came over, and with a great big smile, John said, Hey, how's my fellow Christian doing today? I'll admit I was taken aback. And this is the question that came to my mind How would James respond to Mr. Doe's profession of faith? Let's see. Let's read James chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, and we're going to focus on 26 and 27. Now hear the word of our God. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, where he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, our bellies are full with the bread that perishes. We thank you for it because we are bodies. But Father, you also made us souls. So we pray that you'll take away any and all sluggishness and satisfaction with the offerings of this age. And in mercy, will you feed us with the true bread from heaven that will nourish us to eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. We heard James warn us in verse 26 about deceiving our hearts. Now, I backpedaled all the way to verse 16 to remind us that deception is a very big concern for James. It's also in verse 22. The unfunny thing about deception is that we are all pretty bad at detecting it. That's the whole point of being deceived. You never see the danger until it's too late. Now, We might actually be pretty good deception detectors when it comes to seeing others and what they're about to step into, but each and every one of us all have personal blind spots due to our own particular bents. Paul Simon was right when he said, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. We all have inner desires that we want to gratify, that we want to affirm, that actually provide funnels to how we hear. They give us a lens by which we view ourselves, this world, and even this, our Bibles. Penn Gillette, the famous magician and entertainer, he was actually asked, how did you become an atheist? Do you want to know what his answer was? He said this, I read the Bible cover to cover, and I think anyone who is thinking about maybe becoming an atheist, if you read the Bible cover to cover, I believe you will emerge from that as an atheist. The Bible itself will turn you into an atheist faster than anything. What do you think about that? Would any of you say the opposite? I would. Mm -hmm. After arguing with a Christian's testimony 15 years ago, I actually read the Bible from one end to the other, cover to cover, and it had the exact opposite effect on me. Why is that? Because Penn and I are looking at it through different lenses. And one of us has to be self-deceived. If you're not a believer, well, I would ask you to dig down and ask yourself the question, why? I've not met Penn, but most atheists that I've met say there are things in the Bible that don't make sense. And there, my friends, is the lens through which they see the Bible. What they're saying is, I must understand in order to believe. And since they like to use our minds, and I would like to think we're all reasonable folks here, let's think this through. This is what they're saying. I reject the existence of an infinite being because my finite mind cannot comprehend him. My limited mind cannot contain the plans and purposes of a limitless God. Does anybody see how I'm deceived here? We must actually read our Bibles with the opposite lens. I believe what it says in order to understand. Do you see the difference? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That I might not perish by first believing, I might actually attain everlasting life. And while during that year when I read from one end to the other, there's a lot that I didn't and still don't understand. But I did come to a greater understanding because I came with a believing view first. And I actually came to greater faith. And I actually found out that this book knew me better than I knew myself. And I could trust that my God gave it to me for my good and for his glory. Now, I don't see myself as better, any better than Penn Gillette, or anyone else. Actually, because of what James said, start, says in verse 18. My belief first, starting point, is actually all of God and his initiating grace. I was deceived until God birthed me by the same self word of truth. And, get this, I am still prone to deception, even as a born-again believer. That is why James says, we must keep taking in the soul-saving word, verse 21. Not just be hearers, but actually living it out, being doers. In fact, if we're just hearers and living it out, we're still deceived. We need to be doers of the word that birthed us. And James describes this word of truth, I find quite helpfully. He describes it as a mirror that shows us all our mess, the stuff that we don't see about ourselves. But it doesn't just condemn. It also shows us the way to live freely because it's the law of liberty, verse 25, freeing us to live that blessed life that God's intended for us. Notice everything leading up to verses 26 and 27, it's all of God's grace, all of God's grace. God birthed us, God booked us, God blessed us. And it's important that we get this context because if we simply read verses 26 and 27 in isolation, we might be prone to come to this and end up being deceived. Think of it as, oh, here's the three tests to get to heaven, three tests to pass. And any, people who, any person who does these three tests, well, they get a passing grade. On that great day, of, final day of human history, when we stand in line before the great judgment throne, God will have this three-part morality exam where he'll examine us by our language, our care for the needy, and if we had pretty squeaky clean lives, God will stand up with all the angels and applaud. Good job, Kelly. Great job, Robert. Three passing grades. And there are many unbelievers actually out there who could actually check these boxes better than a lot of us Christians. Let's just be real. In fact, that might be why they're peddling so hard. I have folks regularly tell me that their hope of heaven is this. I try to be a good person. They don't need to believe in the Son of God that was sent by the Father or in His cross to pay for their sins. And James 1, 26 and 27, in isolation was a great proof text for their religion but they're deceived. Actually, James will say in the very next verse, or the very next chapter, if you fail in even one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. That means your exam is ripped up and it's thrown out (laughs) just for one, one peccadillo. Friends, true religion is found only in looking to Jesus Christ and holding fast to his word. In fact, the very next verse in James... Chapter 2, verse 1 is, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I say all this by preface, our faith is not our ability to pass these three tests. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ to ace these tests for you in your place. That's why this book is also a mirror to show us our Savior. Not just to show us our mess, but to show us our Savior. And John Bunyan, he describes the mirror this wonderful, in a wonderful way in Pilgrim's Progress. Listen to this. Now the glass was one of a thousand. It would present a man one way with his own features exactly and turn it but another way, and it would show one the very face and similitude of the prince of pilgrims himself. Yeah, I've talked with those who can tell, and they have said they have seen the very crown of thorns upon his head by looking in this glass. They have therein also seen the holes in his hands, in his feet, in his side. The man who continues, continues looking into the mirror of God's word sees in it things far more wonderful than his own face. He sees not only his filthy garments, not only the spots and stains on his life. He sees in it Christ, the Christ of the thorn-crowned brow, the Christ of the cross, his Savior, whose blood cleanses him from all sin. The Word of God is a mirror showing us our spots and stains, but it also shows us our stain remover, our Savior who shed his blood. So let's keep the Savior in sight as we examine these three tests. And the first one is actually James tells us what religion isn't. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We're to hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. James says we must have a bridle for our tongues. A bridle is that instrument that you you place in a horse's mouth in order to control them. Well, the point is not literal. Although I wish at times for a set of reins on some folks whose mouths never cease to flap. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to just give a quick tug, you know, so that our sore ears kind of get a break for a minute? Somebody's laughing over there. (laughs) James' point is we're to be mastering our tongues. That's what he means. Because we're born with tongues that need taming. They're wild. As children, we throw tantrums. As adults, we complain. When we're old, we criticize. Our mouths are wild, and they have the power of a horse to trample others. And we're deceived if we deny how destructive this little bit of flesh between the jaws is as luther would say and how unholy our mouths are we've been going through isaiah for advent and in chapter 6 isaiah is brought before the throne of almighty god and what happens to the holy prophet isaiah he becomes completely undone and here's what he says his first words woe is me for i am lost for i am a man of unclean lips And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. The moment Isaiah finds himself in the presence of Almighty God, the first thing he realizes is that his mouth is a cesspool. And so is everybody else's. He's completely undone and he actually begins placing a curse upon himself. Now, this is not Howard Stern or Sharon Osborne standing before Almighty God. No, this is Isaiah, God's holy prophet, who sees he has a potty mouth. And it terrifies him because when he comes into the presence of the holy, it reveals that he has unholy lips that shouldn't be here. If Isaiah realizes how unclean his mouth is, how do you think you and I will fare? As I meditated on this this week, I started to really think about, pay attention to all the words that come out of my mouth, how much I let fly without really thinking about it. Actually, I just had a wonderful member just tell me, Joel, you said something you shouldn't have the other day. And I was like, thank you. And since I had to think about it all week, uh, eh, I want you to be uncomfortable too. How many words have you spoken this week that are Irreligious. Jesus says in Matthew 12:36 and 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless idle word will be examined under the heavenly holiness scanner. That's a scary thought. What you said to your parent, your spouse, your child, your friend, you're going to have to answer for. it, And all you said behind their back. Now, we may be thinking <laughs> the best thing for us right now is that I better strap on a bridle and not talk at all. You know, Maybe you're the silent type and you're thinking, whew, I'm sure glad I'm not Joel, that guy. <laughs> Did you just think that? That counts too. Now you're part of the potty mouth club. Just because it didn't come out of your mouth doesn't mean you're all good. Jesus said right before this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Lord searches the thoughts of the hearts too. Jeremiah 17.10. Do you see why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and on his cleansing work like Isaiah? Actually, an angel went to the altar and brought a white hot coal and placed it on Isaiah's lips and said these wonderful words. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I think we need to realize here, when we do speak words, we need to confess this. And as we think back, keep confessing. And because our lips have been cleansed, the good news is, then we are actually enabled by God's grace to speak words of life to people. And that is what our culture needs so badly in our day. Tongues instructed by the word of God, able to sustain a weary soul with a word. Isaiah 50, 50 verses four, 3 and 4 think about it. Why was it that folks just flocked to Jesus? Folks who'd never met him before and they just dumped their whole lives in his lap. Why was it that those soldiers sent to arrest Jesus couldn't do it in John 7? Do you remember what they said? Verse 46, no one has ever spoke like this man. they were stopped in their tracks the moment they heard the gracious words of our Lord Jesus. And we will stop people in their tracks when we begin to learn with instructed tongues, speak with instructed tongues, bridled by the word of truth. The alternative is, or our mouths will reveal that our religion, our belief in our Lord Jesus is worthless. That's heavy. Something to think about. So let's see the next two tests. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now James tells us what is pure, what is holy religion before God the Father. Well, it first visits orphans and widows in their affliction. I read from Psalm 68 to start, um, who is God? Who is God? Maybe that's a question we have right now. If you're not yet Christian wondering who is God, Psalm 68 tells us he is the father of the fatherless Actually, I resonate with that. Perhaps you do too. Maybe at your table growing up, there was a chair that was empty because you didn't have a father. That desire we have for a caring father is a homing beacon, my friend. The God of the Bible, the only true God, looks down in love on those who hurt, those who've been disadvantaged by this life. God looks down on the helpless like widows. Widows in James' day, they would have been like the most disadvantaged group of all. There was no government aid or protection for widows in this day. Widows had no status, no one to look out for them. That's what makes our God so amazing. He chooses those who are most powerless in this world, and he loves them. He defends the widow. He cares for the orphan. And that's why we are to look like our Father, loving those who he loves during our short time here on earth. Mark said something to me recently. And I've been, I take it to heart. He said that a church begins to die the moment we take our eyes off those hit hardest by death. The church begins to die the moment we take our eyes off those hit hardest by death in this world. So we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who again cared for widows. We saw this in one of our recent Luke sermons. Remember way back, the widow of Nain in Luke 7. He saw this widow weeping over the death of her only son. Let me read from this. Verse 13, Luke 7. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Do you see what the people saw? When Jesus gave that widow back her son, the people immediately recognized the God of Psalm 68. They saw God had visited his people. Episkeptimai. It's actually the same exact Greek word that James is using here. And the same will be true when we visit the helpless widows. People will see God visiting. Keeping our eyes on Jesus also goes further. It's actually what sustained me for years when I was caring for my widowed grandmother. I kept Matthew 25 in front of me that's the famous scene where Jesus said he would return in glory one day to sit on his throne and there he's going to separate the sheep from the goats Jesus is going to welcome the sheep into his great inheritance what was the difference between the sheep and the goats Jesus says this in Matthew 25 verse 35 25 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. my same exact word. They're all saying, when did we visit you, Jesus? When did we see you? When did we do all these things? And Jesus said, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did unto me. Do you ever find yourself, when you're just... Wondering, wow, God has loved me so much. How can I love God more? How can you show your love to Jesus more? By visiting and loving those who are lonely and helpless. That's how we can keep Jesus out in front of us. And James' third test naturally follows from the other two. True religion is keeping oneself unstained from the world. We can learn to use our tongues to reveal our religion We can care for the widows and the orphans, but that's not enough. In fact, think about with our tongues. We can use them very well, but Richard Baxter says, Well, take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues. We speak into our world. We minister to the helpless in the world, but we cannot be stained by the world. God says, you shall be holy because I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16. This means we're to be separate from an evil world even as we're in it. What our culture needs is not for us to be more relevant in the name of love. To tell people it is okay to remain in sin, that offends God is not loving. God sent his son not only to save a people, but to sanctify a people, to make them holy, to make them pure. Yes, we need to be engaged with culture. We need to be understanding of the unchurched, but we cannot adopt the values of this culture. So let's promote holiness like a beautiful garment. It's common in our day to hear holiness and to think self-righteousness, wrong, wrong. That's all wrong. We need to see holiness as a beautiful thing. Jonathan Edwards writes, Holiness is a most beautiful and lovely thing. We drink in strange notions of holiness from our childhood, as if it were a melancholy, morose, sour, and unpleasant thing. But there is nothing in it but what is sweet and ravishingly lovely. Jonathan Edwards, (laughs) he's speaking some love language there. that Maybe I should learn... Personally, for my spouse, I mean, he sees this as a beautiful thing, a lovely thing, something we should just desire and appreciate. The answer to our unholy culture is a beautiful counterculture. No, we won't be perfectly pure till glory. We know that. But we are to be purifying ourselves because we're children looking forward to that day when our Lord Jesus returns. I personally have found 1 John 3, the first three verses, to be so helpful for my own life. 1 John 3, 1-3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, Because we shall see him as he is. And right here. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're waiting on Jesus. And we won't know true holiness until he arrives. And on that day, we're going to be a splendid, pure bride, adorned for the bridegroom. But what about that last line? Everyone who hopes in Jesus coming, if we're hoping in Jesus coming, We're purifying ourselves as he is pure. What does that mean? How are we purifying ourselves as we're hoping in his coming? He could come up any minute, show up any minute. Well, I've come to envision it sort of like prom night. You know, the girl's gotten all dressed up because the one she loves is going to be picking her up really soon. Her hope is in his soon arrival, and she wants to look her best, right? So what does she keep doing in hopes of his coming? She goes to the window. Oh, he's not coming down the road yet. So she scrambles off to the mirror to check her makeup, to make sure her hair is right. Here's her dress perfect. No stains, right? She smooths out a wrinkle. <laughs> What's she doing? She's purifying herself so that when he arrives, she's going to be looking her best. So let's not deceive ourselves and think we're living for Jesus if we're actually just laying in slop. Purifying ourselves is the sign that we're truly living for Jesus as his bride, and we think he's going to show up any minute now, and he will. We don't know the day. So I'll conclude by saying all three tests are not just helps to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, but we can also see them as spiritual checkups concerning our relationship with our Heavenly Father, which is where we began back in 17 and 18. Remember James told us, that of his own will, the Father acts, giving spontaneous good gifts. He's a giver of spontaneous good gifts. And then James told us that we were birthed, brought to life by the Father's word of truth. And third, we hear the reason for this is that we should be first fruits, a new creation, different from our fallen world. And I hope you're beginning to see what James is doing This actually corresponds to James' three tests of true religion. If the Father is spontaneous in giving and how he cares for the needy, guess what? We too, likewise, will visit orphans and widows in their affliction. If the Father gives new life by his word of truth, then truly religious persons will have a good reign on their tongues. And if the Father has a purpose in making new creations different from the fallen world, Then the religion of the newly undefiled leads one to seek to remain unstained from this world. So as we come to the end of chapter 1 of James, if we were to sum up true religion really simply, we could say, like father, like child, true religion is a picture of whose we are. And I hope this puts to rest how a lot of folks try to reject religion in favor of relationship you probably heard that right oh i'm not about religion i'm about relationship (laughs) and i actually get that if we're talking about empty formalism but that's not true religion james wouldn't understand such a distinction would he he sees true religion as revealing our relationship the question for us as we leave here my friend is this whose are we may we all say beloved forever children of our wonderful heavenly father amen 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 let's pray father you've been so good to us and you continue to be so good to us and it's only just begun and one day in glory oh we're going to look back on all the things you were doing even in the now moments that we experienced so profoundly at this time and we're going to recognize that it was all of your grace we thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus, and we pray that you'll help us to keep our eyes fixed on him as, as we begin to speak. That we may, in fact, be people who speak in such a way that our words will sustain weary souls. We also pray, Father, that you will help us to see our Lord Jesus and those who are most needy, the orphans, the widows, the people we we'll see walking the streets of this city. Lord, Help us to see Jesus and how we may love him. And Father, we also ask and pray that you will help us to remain unstained from the world. Will you uh, show us the ways in which we are so easily deceived or the ways in which we're so easily tempted? And we ask and pray that you will continue your work in purifying us. And we thank you that you've made us your children. May we remain good children, growing up in faith, hope, and love, ever turning from sin, trusting you are bringing us to glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.